You're listening to the Reversing Climate Change Podcast by Nori, the world's first carbon removal marketplace. Here are your hosts, Ross Kenyon and Christoph Jospin. Hey, welcome to the Reversing Climate Change Podcast with Nori. I'm starting over. Is that... <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's uh, keep going. The face I made was because you didn't say hello. You I know. Hey. It's because there's a nice rhythm to it and starting is the hardest part and, sometimes. So I have a thing that I say. It's a routine. And actually, Ross has said hey before and those are usually the ones we cut out, but we're going to keep this. So wow. welcome, everyone. This is Ross Kenyon to my left. I'm Christoph Jospay. <laughs> We've got producer Paul on the levels and... Sitting across from us is Gaia Rashan. She is the co-founder and CEO of a company called Dashboard Earth. I'm sure we'll learn more about that. We're still here in Starfish Mission. We're still in a soundproofed room with a light that is changing all the colors of the rainbow. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. They're actually not going to let us out. Yeah, it's really <laughs> illuminating this lively discussion. Gaia is also someone who listens to the podcast, so she knows what she's getting into. She agreed to come on. She knows how mean we are. We grill people. We say nasty things. We get them to say things that they thought they weren't going to say before. And it's like that. What is it? Priming? Is that the word? Most guests actually end up crying after it finishes. We, we haven't shared that before. Or at least like they walk out and we see them like calling their like psychologist. Like, okay, I'm going to need the next one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, we'll stop with all that. Gaia, um, we like to start with people's story and really their motivations. Like how they got into wanting to do something that in some way, shape, or form relates to reversing climate change. And somewhere on your website, I think it says that. So it's like, cool, we're on the same team. Let's make it happen. But how did it all get started for you? We are definitely on the same team in that respect. And I'm very happy to be here. So thank you. I was raised in a family that was very focused on environment. But my stepfather actually made one of the very first films on climate change in the 80s, in the early 80s. So it's something that's been very prevalent in my psyche for a long time. But I think rather than taking a kind of activist approach, which I definitely, I work with a lot of activists all over the world, but I really have always felt like I wanted to look at the kind of larger picture. And so for me, I've been very focused on how our beliefs and our identities shape our relationship to nature and climate. But it really goes back to early days. I did not go to school. I have no high school diploma. No, oh, I shouldn't. See, so you're already getting me to say things that I shouldn't be saying. Can you can you edit it? Can you edit? <laughs> no, I think that's cool. You don't have that formal education, but you've accomplished things. So keep going. And you I, I should, grew that's up a point of pride. literally. Okay, maybe I'm old enough that it's a point of pride. Okay, I'll, I'll accept that. But I grew up incredibly rurally, so everything there was no structure, there was no form, and there was me and horses and trees. Where was this? Well, I grew up about five years in Sri Lanka, my father's Sri Lankan, oh. and most of my childhood in Scotland on the west coast, on the Mull of Kintyre. So it was islands and this beautiful, <laughs> stunning place to grow up. But not a lot of humans, a lot of nature. Dashboard Earth, is this a reference to Spaceship Earth? <laughs> you know, when we first started, we really wanted it to be a nonprofit. And actually, the Buckminster Fuller Institute was our fiscal sponsor. And their whole thing is Spaceship Earth. And so I'm sure it's connected to that in some way. <laughs> you just had that, like the rhythm of that phrase, like deep inside of you. I did. Yeah. And my partner is in the big data world. So he does data visualization. And a lot of the inspiration was we just 
have volumes of data and is there an opportunity to get some of the right data at the right time in the right context into people's hands and that is essentially a dashboard and I'm all about the earth so <laughs> awesome I'm going to derail this conversation Sorry. a little bit because <laughs> Ross went somewhere that I didn't want to go yet I want to know about dashboard earth but I want to know about too Krista no I want to know about you Gaia <laughs> you have a fascinating story so you grew up with nature and horses at some point you made some films that's cool that must maybe inform what you're doing now can you tell us about that yeah, so I grew up in a family of filmmakers, and it's been a very kind of hot and cold feeling of not really wanting to do it, but feeling that there's a real reason for changing our minds about things, and that just seemed like the most reasonable way to do it. I've made several features at this point, and a bunch of TV, and I go in and out of like wanting it as a career. So again, way too much information. <laughs> <laughs> We won't tell anyone this, <laughs> well, this. This will exist on the internet. This, um, okay. <laughs> but we won't tell anyone. I love filmmaking because you learn a body of work. So in order to make a feature film, particularly, that's years of your life. You might read two or three hundred nonfiction books. You interview the most important experts in a field. And you learn something really deeply. And so the other part of my work is consulting where I you know, help people tackle the kind of issues that I make films about, which are all environmental issues. So at some point, though, you made the jump to tech. That was a uh, thing. That was like to... yesterday. Like yesterday. I, I don't know. I <laughs> was still really working out whether that's a good move. Yeah, it's interesting. I think a lot of people were inspired by Trump's election and the need to just do things differently and step outside of your comfort zone. I started working in Northern California in the late 90s, and I felt there was this immense sense of potential at that point. It was the world was being remade in front of us and nobody knew what it looked like. I mean, I remember filming at the Webbies when, you probably don't even know what the Webbies is, but the Webbies when Google won, you know, it was like these ridiculous kind of times, but you had this feeling that in 10 years, nothing was going to be the same again. And it wasn't, but it kind of wasn't in the way that we sort of thought it was going to be. And I feel like there's this moment now where it's that same feeling where technology is literally melting the systems that we are used to living in as humans. And I think that there's a real potential to build those systems in the way that you guys see at Nori and the way that we're trying to do at Dashboard Earth. And I absolutely love Regen Network. And you know, there's a lot of companies in this space who see that same potential. And I feel like I'm ready to I'm embracing it. I'm a technophobe, honestly, on a basic level. I don't really have any apps on my phone. I'm building an app. But, you know, in some ways, I'm a very, very difficult audience to please. And it's helped me to just get to the point where we can leverage something that is really setting the world in a very, very different course. And we can leverage it in the right direction. Otherwise, it's kind of a dystopic nightmare. I was going to use the F word, but I restrained myself. <laughs> Good job. Sorry. It hasn't always happened on the podcast. It, has, it, it occurs. <laughs> it has occurred before. That's great. So what exactly is the app? How does it work? How did you get the idea? How are you building it as a technophobe? Quite you a thing that landed on you. That, yeah. yeah, no, I yeah. don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's probably a fresh look too, since we all swim in this stuff all the time. I don't have as fresh eyes, you know. I've worked in video too, and sometimes you just get so sick of it and you're so 
over something. You need to have someone who hasn't seen it at all before. So maybe that's you. Ross also lived in LA, so he's sort of blasé in how he was about life. <laughs> I don't know if you get that. <laughs> Do I look blasé? I'm... <laughs> Those, those I love rude. that. <laughs> <laughs> didn't, didn't care for that. I'm not blasé. Maybe, maybe a little. How did uh, Dashboard Earth uh, originate? What inspired you? Uh, the, the philosophy behind it I find very interesting and also quite parallel to how we think about this. Mm. So I've always been intrigued and probably because of my lack of formal education, I've always been intrigued at how things fit together rather than I've never really had an opportunity to be siloed in that way. So for me, I mean, there's so many different genesis to this. On the one hand, it is incredibly disappointing as somebody who communicates and works in communications as a consultant and a filmmaker, it's incredibly frustrating that the environmental movement chooses to only use the levers of guilt, shame, and fear to motivate people around things that are very, very important. And it was increasingly frustrating trying to sell and distribute content that didn't fit the kind of general genre. And for me, it became incredibly important to relay the fact that we've reached a tipping point in the climate movement. This isn't a doom and gloom story anymore. We actually have all the solutions that we need to get through this. All the thinking has been done. The technology exists. And there is a groundswell of people who are ready to act. But we still build our lives in a system which basically incentivizes all the wrong behavior and all the wrong things constantly. So for me, what this new technological landscape represented is an opportunity to essentially create value where there wasn't any previously. So what we do at Dashboard Earth is match really unmet needs to unused resources. And we do that in a way that is positive and fun and using supportive frameworks and that's optimistic. And what we try to do is that we go city by city, crowdsourcing every solution in a local area, or at least the widest possible range of solutions in a local area. And we use machine learning to get each individual the solution that they're most likely to take. And we reward every action taken with a coin that's redeemable for goods and services. And what the platform enables us to do as climate stakeholders is whether you're a city with incentives in your system, whether you're a corporation with a green product or whether you're a human being with time or attention that you have, we create a marketplace that basically enables value to be created in exchange. So, you know, it's not particularly original in some ways, but it is this Uber for climate. There is <laughs> a transactional layer that we're creating that allows us to verify, validate, and reward actions. And we create a marketplace that enables anybody to create an exchange value in that respect. And I know you guys know all about this from a different kind of side of the portion, but it is, it's a marketplace situation, but it's meant for the moms and the millennials primarily who are like willing to do things. I'm a little creeped out. Did you steal our IP? <laughs> Do we, we need to get our lawyers in here? I love that. Where did you guys meet again? That's one of my favorite things when we meet people where many of those words felt at home to me. We met on the internet. She filled out a form that we had from a newsletter. And that's right. Uh, I actually heard through the grapevine that someone named Gaia was talking very favorably about Nori. I was like, who's Gaia? Oh, so that was, was like, Evan. <laughs> so that's cool. So I was like, okay, there's a fan out there. But I just want to comment. You, you said a number of things just now that really resonate. I mean, I think, yeah, guilt and shame. Well, they are motivators. They're not less. 
lasting motivators. I, I think it's optimism. And I'm a self-described perpetual optimist. I actually got a fortune. I'd like to say that Kristoff has resting smiling face. It's true. <laughs> yeah. but it's because I'm, yeah. I'm actually happy. I got a fortune cookie once that said perpetual optimism is a force multiplier. And that's totally it. Like that, I think like you should maybe have that fortune cookie for your <laughs> startup dashboard earth. I think it's really cool also that you're starting at the city level and giving the everyday people the agency to connect to solutions. And from a like go-to market strategy, really cool that you're piloting in one small little place and then saying, okay, we're going to test it on this micro scale and then scale it out from there. And so can you talk to us a little bit like how it works? What are some of the solutions that you're talking about? What qualifies as a solution? Who are you to judge of what a solution is? I feel like one of the most important things in the climate movement right now is to decouple climate from energy because it's not where the conversation is. We have a very, very well-developed renewable market. And actually, as an environmentalist, I think probably the most important thing you can do is stop talking about renewables and let it become a bipartisan thing. The free market is very good at certain things and renewables are at a stage where the free market is going to do exactly what it needs to do. So for me, it's one of my pet peeves among obviously many that we have to really understand it as lifestyle, behavior, and consumption. So when I, we talk about solutions on Dashboard Earth, we talk about solutions that are the widest possible range. So it could be, I know whether you walked, I know whether you took a bike, I know whether you did an Uber pool or a Lyft line, I know whether you took a bird. I know what food you bought some of the time. I know whether you're composting. These are all the widest possible, literally. I'm like, if you're going to shop secondhand, if you're going to shop on eBay secondhand, like for me, these are all solutions. These are consumption. Sounds like big based, sister to me. You know what I call it? It's not big brother, it's big mother. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, I don't call it. I can't believe I just said that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right, back on that's track. Way- <laughs> that's, that's your new tagline now. <laughs> But it is. We're tracking all of this information and we're giving it to advertisers and we're not getting paid for it. And we don't generate any meaning from it. For us, if you go to your farmer's market, that's a meaningful activity. There are as many solutions in a city as there are people in a city. One of the cities that we love what they're doing, I mean, epic climate goals and have been great in advising us is a city of Santa Monica, but definitely one of the jokes is, you know, Gaia, if I go and if I spend the day in bed, can I get points for that? I'm like, yeah, why not? Yeah. Why it's not? Like one one per hour. <laughs> if you stop breathing. Is that breathing? <laughs> it's kind of it temporarily, sounds, sounds just, temporarily <laughs> stop existing. This project sounds really cool. I mean, I, I'm quite terrified <laughs> on that. So pretty cool. Is there more to explain at that point? One thing I wanted to say too, is that, uh, I like how personal this feels where and one of the criticisms we've gotten, we talked about this is that in commoditizing carbon removal, like people don't want to buy a barcode necessarily. And so having these activities that are built into your life that you're monetizing that do have a net benefit for humanity in terms of climate outcomes, that gives me like a different kind of sensation or a different kind of feeling. I imagine people would respond to that, especially I imagine you're spending a lot of time on the front end of the app, making sure it's very enjoyable to use. And yeah, it sounds it's like it's all that. Yeah, we're trying to make it as simple as possible and as fun as possible. We work with Aura Systems who do dimensional data visualization. So 
their work is to take complex data sets and make them into visualizations that have instantaneous meaning. So one of the core pieces of our app is this tech, which is essentially giving you real-time feedback on your actions on and off the app, which is cool. And I think that's definitely an important part of it. And on the solutions front, you know, we really want to be able to draw from as many different ideas of what a solution is as possible. And as we go through the process and the more data we have, the more we can do to actually measure the real world meaning of it. But for me, it's about social norms, and it's about rewards, and how do you reinforce activities that are in a fun way that are actually meaningful. What is all this about meaning? It seems like uh, one of the core pieces of your philosophy here. Why is creating meaning so important for climate action in this project? <laughs> is this like a like Viktor Frankl kind of thing? <laughs> I guess I feel like we're a little lost and that purposeless. And actually, one of the amazing things about climate is that it gives us meaning. It's like there's a moment in history where we actually have an opportunity to be heroic, you know, and that is an extraordinary moment. It's not just for us. I mean, I probably care slightly less about, I'm actually not even going to make that statement, but we have an opportunity to affect the entire biosphere and everything that currently exists right now. And that is an extraordinary capacity. And I think humans throughout history have been this keystone species that really affect the environment around them. And there's incredible studies done in the most biodiverse parts of the world are actually the parts with humans living in them. You know, you can go into a forest with an ethnobotanist and look in every direction and they'll tell you how it is that over the course of time, it's humans that created that biodiversity. And I think that as a species, we have this extraordinary capacity for healing and for for meaning. <laughs> and instead, we've been robbed of that and been made into consumers and kind of miserable about it. Yeah, we don't have a great war to fight in. We don't, but we kind of yeah. do, right? Yeah. We do. It's, and that's yeah. why he is so, look at his smiling resting face right now. <laughs> he knows. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. We're going to get it right. I mean, we maybe are going to go in cyclical moments of pain and whatever. It's part of the learning process, but we are going to get it right. One of the things that I love about what you're doing is you're sort of tapping into an almost infinitesimal amount of data. All this data is collected and you're saying, wow, if we could just gather it in a way and realign that incentive structure. Are you it, saying it's a, a very small amount? No, or very infinite. Almost <laughs> infinite. Did I say infinitesimal yeah. when I meant to say infinite? <laughs> yeah. I was just trying to sound smart using words that I don't actually know what they mean. <laughs> Okay, I said penultimate once, meaning ultimate, and I got smacked so hard. I know. <laughs> but you were only off by one. Oh, yeah. yeah I just <laughs> yeah. Okay, so there's an almost infinite. I think I know what infinite means, right? That's like... <laughs> <laughs> what is it? To say my three-year-old uses the word infinite This is getting real bucky now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go, let's go again there, Chris. All right, ready? I had a question. The question was, there's a whole bunch of data, almost infinite, <laughs> and you're tapping into it. And you are tokenizing it in a certain way through an incentive structure. How do you determine the value of a solution based on how much reward someone gets? <laughs> that is a really good question. And it changes depending on the growth state in the company. Because early on, honestly, it's my opinion on everything, or at least the team's opinion. Uh -huh. um, Benevolent dictator. Yes. <laughs> we've, 
been talking with incredible group on the data side. I mean, like one of our early connections was with Yale Data Driven, who are amazing. And groups at Stanford, there's a lot of people who are willing to take this data and pass it and make meaning from it. In the early stages, it works without any money in the system. It's a rewards program. It's not a financial element. And we record every action on the blockchain, but we're not, we don't really consider ourselves in the crypto space. However, what we would like to be doing down the road is be able to measure, give meaning to every one of those actions, class them in the way that we record them, and then float a currency that would basically be funded by downstream entities. So there's a lot of downstream entities like reinsurers and cities who are exposed to risks. And what we want to create is a way for those people to get the cash into the present because it's the mitigation, the adaptation has to happen now. And so we're just trying to find a mechanism to bring that money out of the future and into the present. I don't know if that, did I answer your question? Perhaps not. Well, do you imagine that this currency, once it existed, would be trading on some sort of secondary market like other cryptocurrencies? Or are you kind of skipping that step and it's going to people who are really scared about cities going underwater, like insurance companies and reinsurance companies and stuff like that? That is a really interesting question. Because it's not a question I have to deal with right now, I've thought about it in lots of different ways. And there's a team of people in the company that deal with the ecosystem as it could be, but it's an undecided. For me, Personally, in my early 20s, I was very influenced by a gentleman called Bernard Lieter, who was one of the architects of the Euro. That's the guy who wrote Rethinking Money, Paul. Yes, one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> we can never remember his name, but that is him. That is him. And so by the time I met him, he was like, you know, done with the Euro, became a proponent of complementary currencies and time dollars and all the rest of it. And really, for me, instituted this idea of unmet needs and unused resources and how you connect those up. He has some incredibly interesting philosophies around money, one of which is that there are yin and yang currencies. And if you look back through history, you see civilizations which have lasted the longest actually have multiple forms of currency. So our hopes for survival maybe are increasing with the crypto craze. But unfortunately, from Bernard's perspective, and which is a perspective I share, most cryptocurrencies in this space are essentially the identical to the rest of fiat-based interest-bearing money, which is essentially what he calls a yang form of money. It's a directional, growth-oriented, and destructive unless it's balanced by a type of a currency that has different qualities that is meant for sustaining. So I'm not totally sure how it works, but I know that there are ways in which there are mechanisms that a currency can have that give it sustaining capacity, like demurrage, having a fee, keeping it in circulation. These are all things that are very, very interesting to me, but we're at the very beginning stages of figuring that out. And we don't have to figure it out for at least another two years. So. They're all the right questions. <laughs> for once, I didn't have to make the recommendations for that book. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I literally talk about this book like almost every it's episode. Best book. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Our listeners will now hear it twice, two weeks in a row. Yeah, <laughs> we just talked about it on the last episode. Really? Too. Yeah. <laughs> I was on his Wikipedia page not too long ago and I couldn't find anything recent. And then also Rethinking Money only came out. That was Fiverr? 2014. 2014, okay, even sooner. We were wondering why cryptocurrency didn't make an appearance in there as opposed to something more analog. I guess is that why? Is because he He's not a fan well, not in like, general. Like, like, oh, like actively hostile generally? No, he works with Bancor. So there's, oh, no. there's definitely yeah. like parts which he feels are more 
valuable than so, others. So I think your hypothesis the other day that it was 2014, there really wasn't anything beyond, I mean, there were Bitcoin, Bitcoin. clones, but there wasn't anything in the way of like what we're seeing today in terms of like asset backed and commodity backed currencies and all these other novel things that people have come up with in the last year and a half or two years. And like token economic systems that do encourage new types of behavior, which seems to be like, that was the thing I liked most about that book. It's really sure. smart contracts that enable that. And that wasn't mm-hmm. a thing in 2014. Vitalik was just beginning to discuss the concept of Ethereum around then. Mm. So I'm going to display my poor vocabulary again. He used a <laughs> word that I'm not familiar with, demirage. Demirage. Yeah. Wow. Do I have to define that? Yeah, one of us nerds do. We can do it too. Okay, good. <laughs> it's the value of your money decreases over time. So it encourages you to use it. If you just let it sit there, then the value decreases. Got it. So basically, Paul, what you're saying is I need to finally read that book that you've recommended to me. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You absolutely do. I think everyone should be forced I to have been pushing book. this to every person at Nori since day one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had such mixed feelings reading it too, though, because I know this isn't totally fair, but I associate Demerge with inflation. I know they're different, but also I'm like, I don't want my the money that I earn to just lose its value if I don't spend it. What if I'm saving up for something nice and tasty well, later? Well, you can build um, <laughs> like parameters into it. Like you might have a free year. The year starts ticking when you receive the money. And then if you don't use it within a year, then it starts degrading. Yeah. I'm sure there are cases where that's quite useful to have. I'm stuck in a certain paradigm where I'm like, it's my money. Why are you inflating the value away from me? Well, we talked about like the power of exit. Like if you don't like using that money, use a different money Mm -hmm. or a different currency rather, because that's not the same thing. So you said you don't need to figure it out for two years. That means you've got some kind of a timeline. (laughs) Something's happening. You're proving things right now and testing it out. Doing things in Santa Monica, perhaps. or Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So what do you need to prove and test out? How is all this going to scale? It was a good well beyond a year of just research and understanding the pain points of these different stakeholders and just questioning what's the model, why we want to do this, how are we going to do it. And then in March, we finally incorporated as a B Corp. In April, we did our first round of financing. And in April, we did a test at Stanford. What's a a B Corp? Is that the impact uh, So it's a benefit corp. We're actually not a B Corp. We're a benefit corp. Oh, how does that work? It's interesting. It's essentially using the B Corp framework, but what it does is protect you from your investors in your articles of association. So you are protected by your mission. If you choose not to pay your investors, you can just sort of... <laughs> Literally just flip me the bird on my oh, own no, podcast. Don't say that. I have to raise money. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> not... <laughs> it just means that if your investors want you to do something that's not mission aligned, yes, then exactly. you can say, no, we're going to stick yeah. to our mission. And that was particularly important for us because of the amount of data that is involved and the oh, complete yeah. lack of morals that anybody dealing with data seems to have in this country. So it's a way of you know, not turning into... And as I understand it, the difference between Benefit Corp and B Corp is the B Corp, you're also reporting on metrics beyond just the bottom line to your shareholders and come up with what those impact metrics might be and you refine those. I derailed us being a definitional pedant. So why don't we uh, go back? Where, where <laughs> yeah, are you what, headed? So, you mentioned a test that happened at Stanford. That Stanford. Sort of we so did it with a bunch of, of kids at Stanford University tested primarily our back end and then we've been in six months of just designs over and over again and then we have a pretty small test of our mvp like 100 people coming up in october and then 
shortly thereafter our beta goes live is the timeline right now, which is kind of shocking. But we have amazing relationships in the field with the, the SDG Compacts and the Bloomberg folks and C40. These are all basically focused on the kind of 94 biggest cities. So if we can get our tech to a point where it all makes sense in one city, then we hopefully have the opportunity to have a sort of dropped in infrastructure for this type of exchange that should work which, most uh, places. Which city might be the first? Any? LA will be the first. We're losing 40% of our tree cover right now. Uh, there's some 40? 40%. Wow, and God. the effects on flooding, on, I mean, it's really intense. Actually, one of our first partners is Tree People right from the very get go. Andy Lipkiss, the founder there, is just an extraordinary human. But a lot of what we want to do is just create ways for people to get paid to take care of the trees outside their homes. <laughs> That's some basic level actions so for you. So if you just like taking care of trees, you find some way to, like this tree needs some help, make it a little like, what are those things you put on the trees that keep them warmer? Like, do you, I like know, the, just the, hug the trees. Just, <laughs> they'll get better the, just the, like that. The, when uh, they do yarn bombs. <laughs> yeah, right, them. yeah. You have to do that. Or I like talking to my plants. We have a tree in our apartment and plants and I... So you, you, you chat. What do you tell it? <laughs> <laughs> tell it. Tell it's a very, very good little plant. I pity Thank those you. plants. <laughs> You've been uh, real sassy with me on this on the show. Do you today. just play episodes of this podcast to them? Yeah, <laughs> so they, they can hear your voice and not be scared no, when you leave. Daddy's home. not home right now, <laughs> but yeah. <it's>, <laughs> <laughs> you get home. You kiss your wife. You pet your dog. You give a big old hug to your tree. No, it's one of those, well, the fig, what are those types? You know the name of it. The what? It's like a, the fig tree that everyone has inside. Like a ficus tree? No, it has <laughs> some other name that's kind of similar to it. It bears fruit? No, it doesn't bear any fruit. <laughs> this, this <laughs> oh, be, so this is all pointless. <laughs> this is, Let's move on. This is one of the, one of the worst tangents that we <laughs> This may be one of my favorite episodes, though. Um, I'd like to draw the link between Dashboard Earth and Nori. So you're talking about incentivizing people to plant trees. Trees do this wonderful thing called photosynthesis. Probably the reason that we're living, right? Because as trees grow, they consume carbon dioxide and they emit oxygen. And the consumption of carbon dioxide sequesters it in the biomass. And hey, what do you know? We're helping to make an open source carbon removal certificate methodology. And it could just be that people who are planting trees and are getting incentivized for that behavior through producing some kind of currency might also be able to monetize the carbon removal certificate from mm -hmm. those trees. Wow, yes. that's cool. Absolutely. Did I just do it? Did I just link yes, our companies? Absolutely. Cool. Let's do it. <laughs> Urban tree planting is actually a really important thing because it gives people that sense of hope and agency. And there are a whole bunch of great things about trees that I think we don't realize. Like trees along the side of the road actually cause people to slow down when they're driving. And that causes fewer accidents. Wow. It actually increases that. serotonin levels. So people are happier when there are more trees. Not like to mention touching them too, like having like real physical interaction with mm -hmm. them makes a difference. I didn't know that. Yeah. Animals come back, so you're creating mm -hmm. a habitat. All this is great. Shade. I'm sure in LA, something in like LA, that, that matters. In LA, it's massive. Yeah. I can't remember how many millions of dollars last year, but I think that quite a few LADWP had to just get people to plant trees in their yards because it brings down their powers. The Builds Department of Water and Power. Like, thank you, yeah. LA resident, former. <laughs> yeah. I still know. 
I feel like there's a force against that, which is, I don't want a tree in my house. It's going to ruin my view. <laughs> in, in your house? Wait, I mean, what? tree outside of my house. Excuse me. I can't see night. the TV from the couch. Yeah, I wouldn't blame someone for not wanting a, a tree in their house necessarily. <laughs> LA is so many single family homes that generally increases the value of the property. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. I like it for sure. Where we're staying right now in San Francisco, there are houses that are built like up into the hill and they, they seem to be fairly new, but there's no trees there yet. And mm -hmm. something about it just looked wrong to me. I was like, it feels fake. Or, yeah, it's not fully <laughs> built. This whole city. Yeah. I come to San Francisco all the time now. And the thing that always strikes me as weird coming from Seattle, where the tree cover is just massive, is just that there's so few trees here. And the trees mm -hmm. that are here are very small mm -hmm. or very young. They don't look very happy. No, they don't. <laughs> No, it's not like integrated into nature in the way that other cities mm. feel. Yeah. We let San Francisco have it here. <laughs> Rip down it a little bit. I, that, Get your that, act that together, San Francisco. That, that was, was as nice as Paul can be. That was very much the polite version. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else we should get to here? I feel like we could goof around for a long time, but I could also see us putting a cap on it and having a solid episode there. I think it was quite substantive. Did yeah. I use the right word? Yeah, you did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. We just made him so self-conscious. We beat up on everyone here today. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for being here. I love all the things that you're doing. And also philosophically, it's happy to meet uh, fellow travelers who are not focusing primarily on the levers of what was it? Fear, shame, shame, guilt, and guilt. Well done. There you go. <laughs> Any project that's working in the climate space that's doing that, I think they're a friend of Nori just until they're proven otherwise. So uh, <laughs> thanks again <laughs> for being well, here. But that sounded like a threat. Yeah, I had to match your threatening tone. <laughs> Coming on my own podcast, threatening me. Check out dashboard.earth. That's their website. Yeah, please go there. Follow and, what they're up to. And while we're throwing URLs around, I'll jump in with my regular obligatory. Nori is conducting a crowdfund campaign. You can find out all the details about that and invest in Nori at republic.co slash Nori. If you like what we're doing here, please give us a good review in your app for podcasts. If you're on iTunes, especially share our content, be a good fan out there for us. We would definitely appreciate it. And thanks for listening. Thank you.